Hello, my glorious and beautiful works of art. My name is Jessie, and welcome to my podcast, Tea with the Gods. Today, we talk about probably the most underrated, underappreciated, and most forgotten of the Olympians, Hephaestus. I'm going to give a little backstory. We're going to discuss why I personally think he's left out a lot and what we can do as a community to help change it. So get an extra cup of tea because it's time to give Hephaestus the love and respect he deserves. Hephaestus is seen as either the son of Hera and Zeus or just Hera. Apollodorus claims that Hera conceived Hephaestus without sex, though Zeus is still seen as the father. Hesiod tells us that Hera was super peeved about Zeus birthing Athena on his own, so she set out to show him that sisters are doing it for themselves, and she birthed Hephaestus on her own. But that story contradicts the whole Hephaestus bashing Zeus over the head with an axe in order to birth Athena, because how can he do that if he isn't born yet? Seems a tad bit impossible even for the gods. But regardless of which origin myth you subscribe to, most do seem to agree that Hephaestus was born without conception. He's our Jesus, basically. And most likely because of this quote-unquote unnatural birth, Hephaestus is born disabled and weak. Hera is disgusted and ashamed of the child she created, especially when she looks at Athena, the child Zeus birthed himself. Though he really didn't, but we'll get into that when we discuss Hera. Hera is not happy with her imperfect child, so what does she decide to do? Chuck him right off the mountain. Or, as the kids these days say, yeet him off the mountain. Do they still say yeet? It doesn't matter. You get it. Thetis, who is a sea goddess and the mother of Achilles, found Hephaestus after his fall and took him in. It was with her that he began cultivating his mad smith skills. When he gets older and is able to fully digest the trauma of his own mother flinging him off of a mountain, he decides he wants vengeance. Can't really blame him. I mean, I poured half of my mom's really expensive toner down the drain just because she told me I had to go to school. So who am I to judge? He crafts this beautiful golden chair and sends it to Hera like, totally love you, mom. This is not a trap. And Hera sits in the chair like, oh, wow, the kid I disowned and tried to murder sent me a gift. Not suspicious at all. I'm going to sit in it. And shocker, it was a trap. She got stuck in the chair and nobody could get her out. So here again, we have two different variations of what happened. The first is that Dionysus ends up getting Hephaestus drunk, leads him back to Olympus on a mule, and gets him to release Hera. Some sources claim this is how Dionysus gets his seat in Olympus. The other variation is that Zeus offers Aphrodite as a prize to whoever can free Hera. Obviously, no one can, so Dionysus goes to Hephaestus and is like, dude, if you release Hera, you can marry Aphrodite. And Hephaestus decided that that sounded better to him than his mother being bound to a chair for eternity. So he went back, freed Hera, and married Aphrodite. 
Now that we got a bit of backstory on Hephaestus, let's discuss why he isn't more prevalent in the Hellenic community, or at least my opinions on the matter. Firstly, his mythology isn't as captivating as some of the other gods, so we didn't really grow up learning much about him. His most famous and well-known myth is less about him and more about Aphrodite and Ares. That says it all right there. His appearances in the majority of mythology is mainly as a side character, or just a brief mention, though what he does is still extremely significant. He's the one who creates all the astonishing works across the whole of Greek mythology. Hephaestus built the palaces and thrones of Olympus, he built Apollo's temple at Delphi, chariots for multiple gods, including Helios, who uses it to raise the sun, jewelry adorned by the gods, actual automatons, and Pandora, who is considered the very first woman. Badass, right? But the problem is that as cool as it is, when trying to compete with events like turning into some sort of animal to woo a lady, or the tragedy of losing a lover to the underworld, or creating the first dildo in order to keep a promise, it's kind of hard to stand out. And like I said before, he barely, if at all, gets mentioned in school. I know for the majority of us, school is where we first get a taste of Greek mythology, and the spark of interest immediately strikes. We learn mostly about the gods seen as important in ancient Greece, and who have entertaining mythology, such as Zeus, Athena, and Apollo. I know for me personally, it was also about who appears in the works of Homer, since we read the Odyssey. Hephaestus, not being a very relevant character in academic standards, easily flew under the radar, leaving us to sort of forget about him since we grew attachments to the more shiny, dramatic, in-your-face gods, a.k.a. Apollo. Secondly, his associations, while very important in ancient Greece, not so much in the modern world. We don't have a lot of people taking up the art of sculpting, metalworking, or stonemasonry. One could argue, well, what about fire? To which I would answer with, we take simple yet extremely crucial things like fire for granted. Which further proves why a god like Hephaestus gets taken for granted in the modern world. Hephaestus kind of got a bad hand in regards to associations. Compared to the rest of the Olympians, his are a lot more specific and even, like, niche. Most of the other Olympians rule over realms that are necessary to the human experience. Like, regardless of where in the world you are or what time period you are in, you can find relevance in each of the Olympians, except Hephaestus. I personally think this is the main culprit as to why Hephaestus isn't worshipped more in our community. We can't relate to him because what he traditionally represents has no meaning for us in the modern world. This is why I believe that Hephaestus, out of all the gods, can benefit from a bit of modernizing. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. Lastly, and yes, before I say it, I am absolutely going to go there. Hephaestus isn't quote-unquote pretty. Let's be honest here. Look at the most popular male gods, Apollo... Hermes, Dionysus, and even Ares. What do they all have in common? They're pretty boys. Like, if they were to start a boy band, they would be the ancient Greek version of BTS. That's how pretty they are. And I'm not knocking anyone here for liking a god because they're good-looking. 
I know there's more to our affection for them than how they look, but we'd all be lying if we didn't acknowledge that it doesn't hurt that the boys are nice to look at. I admit one of the main reasons my fifth grade ass fell in love with Apollo was because he was the pretty bisexual boy. Apollo and Hyacinthus, OTP. So much cringe. (laughs) Anyway, it's a lot like meeting anyone. You know the first things we notice is the way someone looks, and our interest in them peaks if we like the way they look. That's normal human behavior, so why wouldn't that also apply to the gods? Hephaestus, unfortunately, is not a pretty boy. At least that's not how mythology describes him. No, on the contrary, his mythology does all it can to make sure you, as the audience, knows that Hephaestus is not at all a good-looking man. He's not perfect and pretty and handsome like all his brothers. But this echoes back to my whole point about Zeus and his mythology. It's not a coincidence that the only disabled Olympian is also viewed as being quote-unquote ugly, To the ancient Greeks, his disability is the reason, or at least part of the reason, why he is viewed the way he is. Because first off, gods are supposed to be perfect, divine, beautiful beings, and having a disability to them goes against that image. And second off, it goes without saying, but the ancients weren't that keen or open about disabilities. So they looked down on those who were disabled. So of course they weren't going to present a disabled god in the same way as they did, say, Apollo or Hermes. But we aren't the ancient Greeks, and we have grown in how we view and treat people with disabilities. Well, most of us have. Which means that we can and absolutely should update Hephaestus' mythology. Yes, he is disabled, but that doesn't make him deformed or ugly or any less of an amazing god. It doesn't make him any less at all. So this leads me into the topic of modernizing Hephaestus. Now what do I mean by that? Well, we've already done it to pretty much all the other gods, where we give them more modern associations that still align with their traditional roles and with what they represent. For example, Aphrodite being the goddess of love has been deemed also the goddess of self-love. Because of Dionysus's mythology and for the existence of Aphrodite, both Dionysus and Aphrodite are seen as gods of the trans community. Both Apollo and Dionysus are viewed as gods of mental illnesses. We've added more modern associations and realm to the gods to make them more relevant to our lives, which I think is important because the ancient Greeks did the same thing. The gods fully represented what was important to the lives and the survival of the ancient Greeks. So now it's our turn. And it's time we give Hephaestus a modern makeover. And I have a few ideas. God of the disabled community. That's an obvious and natural role for him. And one I think we all definitely need to promote more. God of those who have been abused, especially by their parents. I mean, Hephaestus was legit thrown off a mountain by both parents. Yes, Zeus also threw him off Olympus. I was shocked too. He's been physically, emotionally, and mentally abused by his mother and father because he was not what they wanted him to be. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people can relate to that, so it might be comforting knowing they have a god who they can confide in who has similar experiences. God of the Black Sheep and the Outcasts. 
Kind of another obvious one, since Hephaestus is definitely an outcast of the Olympians, and a black sheep in his family. I also think we need to see him as the creative god he is. Creative work shouldn't be dominated by just Apollo, because Hephaestus has claim over some of it as well. He represents the act of using your hands to craft something extraordinary into existence. I think he, more so than Apollo, really embodies the soul of a creator, because it's pretty much all he does. He has dedicated his entire existence to his craft, and he has struggled and fought for it. And I think this leads into the most important revelation I had about Hephaestus upon studying him. He's the most human out of all the Olympians. If there is any god we can truly relate to, it's him. Look at all his struggles, all his trauma and pain, the fact that he has put it all into his work, and the fact that he actually does work. When you really understand him and break down his mythology, it's almost laughable that he ends up being the one that we forget about, when he's the one who can probably understand us the most, and us him. Alright cuties, that's a wrap on today's episode. I have to say this has been the most eye-opening one for me personally. Probably because I really didn't know a lot about Hephaestus before I began researching him, and now I actually really feel inspired to work with him more. I do hope that this episode was as impactful to you as it was for me. Even if you don't feel the pull for worship, I hope you at the very least feel like you gain a new appreciation for him. Moving forward, it would be nice to see him more represented in our community. Next episode is Tea with the Gods special Valentine's Day episode, all about Eros and Psyche. It will be uploaded on Valentine's Day as my gift to all of you, so look out for that. And as always, you can follow me on social media. My main blog is on Tumblr. The URL is The Pastel Priestess. And there you will find a lot more Hellenic content. And I regularly answer questions and interact with the community. I'm also The Pastel Priestess on Instagram, where I post a lot of images of my worship and my witchcraft. And I'm Tea with the Gods on Twitter, where I scream into the void like we all do on Twitter. So come follow me and don't be afraid to start a conversation or discussion. I love hearing what you all have to say and what you are all doing in your own worship. Thank you so very much for listening and for all your encouraging and lovely comments. It really truly means a lot to me and helps this little engine chug along. Take care, my loves, and may the gods forever be with you. Bye.